Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. of a bummer this summer, hasn't it? Pirates obviously haven't done a lot of winning. Pirates obviously aren't about to do a lot of winning with trades expected in advance of the deadline and the major league roster getting that much weaker. And I'm here today to mix things up a little. I'm here today to focus on the positive. In fact, I can cite three significant positive things that have occurred this summer already. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. Comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or hockey, I also offer up daily shots of Steelers and Penguins right where you found this. Pirates and White Sox go at it tonight at PNC Park. Brief two-game set. First pitch for this one is 7.05 p.m. I'll be over there covering it for DK Pittsburgh Sports. Hope you check out all of our coverage on the website, always. I've got three of them for you. Uh, You know, I could, if really, really pressed, I could come up with like four or five, but I'm not going to do that. I want to come up with three of them for you. But I'm going to start by deliberately omitting one that you would think would fit onto this list, and that would be Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds getting back to rookie form. Brian Reynolds being one of the top 10 hitters right now in all of Major League Baseball, you would think would crack this list. But I'm not going to do that because Brian Reynolds himself said in Bradenton that this was just the norm, that 2020 never existed and I'm going to honor that. Simple as that. So it it's not happening. Brian Reynolds' rebound isn't really a rebound because last season didn't exist for him. So he's out of here. Number three. We're going to do this in the fun order. Number three for me is JT Brubaker. The more he pitches, uh, the more toughness he shows, the more versatility he shows, the more command of his fastball in tough situations that he shows, the more I believe that he's part of this franchise's long-term future, and not by default, uh, not because there's just no one else around. That's why he's pitching now, okay? He'd make this team 
Uh, he'd make this rotation if he was half as good as what he is. But he's been better than that. Uh, there's not a lot of good things that I say about the previous front office, but those guys were dead on when they were telling me three years ago that they really believed in Brubaker, that they couldn't wait for him to get to Pittsburgh. And then when he had injury issues and had to sit out a whole year, they were legit devastated by that because they felt like he could have come in and, you know, maybe they weren't thinking this at the time, but, you know, saved their jobs or helped save their jobs. Brubaker's a part of the future. Brubaker's part of the present. He's my three. My two is the one on this list where you would think would be just, well, yeah, of course, but that's Adam Frazier. Adam Frazier's consistency, to be specific. We'd seen him hit like this before, but we'd only seen it in spurts of 10, 12 days at a time. Remember that? He'd go completely berserk, National League Player of the Week, and you'd be like, where is this guy all the time? And I, I go into the clubhouse afterward and I ask him, you know, Adam, what changed, whatever. He'd say something like, well, my dad was watching on TV and he saw that my hand was in a certain spot and that's not the way I held it when I was a kid. And you'd think, oh, he's got it figured out. And then he would just fall off again and he'd be like a 210, 220 guy who would do a lot of rolling over and grounding out and wasn't really all that exciting of a player. This year has been different. He's, I was going to say modified, he's tinkered with his approach, he and Rick Eckstein, and he's gotten consistent results for the first time really in his professional career. Not just in the majors, but in his professional career, he now looks like the same hitter all the time, including when he's making adjustments to individual pitchers and pitches. He's hitting the ball to all fields. You've seen that with regularity. How often have you seen him just say, you know what, they're giving me outside, I'm just going to drop it over the third baseman's head and run. He's been outstanding. He's been one of the very best hitters, certainly one of the most productive hitters, in all of baseball. He's a shoe-in all-star. He should be starting for the National League at second base. I don't think he will be because, you know, Pirates. But that's a positive. Whether he stays with the Pirates and remains part of this process moving forward or whether the Pirates can get a really terrific haul, and I do mean something that raises your eyebrows for him in a trade, that's a positive development. And that leads me to number one. But just like they do on all those shows, I'm going to take a little bit of a detour here now that I've got you hanging. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by, see how we do these things? The North Shore Tavern, directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. North Shore Tavern is home to Steak on a Stone. North Shore Tavern is home to the planet's only truly dedicated Front-to-back, side-to-side, pirate sports bar, memorabilia, wall-to-wall. Pay North Shore Tavern a visit, not just when there's ball games. North Shore Tavern is open seven days a week. Come on down and check them out. 
steak on a stone alone is worth the experience. Number one is Richard Rodriguez. How is it, I ask you, that Richard Rodriguez became this overnight sensation as one of the game's most efficient and dynamic closers with no one saying anything about it anywhere. Have you noticed this? Remember that as recently as February, when the pitchers and catchers reported to Bradenton, people like me were asking Derek Shelton, Who's going to be your closer? Do you have a closer? Do you even have a closer? Is it just going to be no closer at all? And Shelton himself wouldn't answer. So, like, he can't even claim a told you so here. I had heard down there that it was going to be Rich Rod, but Rich Rod needed to have a good Grapefruit League season, and he did. And within that, Kyle Crick also pitched well. David Bednar was out of his mind in spring training. But all of the hopes earlier in spring were on Blake Cedarland, who was throwing 100 miles an hour and uh, looked like he was going to be to the Pirates this year what Nick Birdie was to the Pirates early last year, where you just bring in this dude who throws 100 and that's that. Rich Rod was supposed to be maybe possibly a setup guy. And he has instead become this. I'm here to tell you that there is nothing on the trade market that compares in terms of disproportionate value than sending a closer somewhere for prospects. Sure, I'd love to have Rich Rod around too, but you can find closers. Rich Rod himself is an example of that. You might have a closer under your nose. You might have three of them under your nose at any given time. But once you become that, your value leaps. Certainly on the trade market. Because every team that's a contender is picturing for themselves, wow, what if we do all this? We make it all that distance, and it comes down to just those final three outs, and we didn't go out and get ourselves a closer. We'll be kicking ourselves forever. That's the mindset. Still, no matter how many deep-dive analyses are done on how closers are basically pretty fungible, they will still go out of their way to grossly overpay in a trade for a closer. Of all the Pirates who could get traded next month, Rich Rod is at top of my list hoping that he does because his value will never come close to being this high. And his value to the Pirates themselves, and I say this respectfully, is minimal. You know, I mean, he's the Maytag repairman. He's, he's a guy that's waiting to close out leads, and there aren't a whole lot of leads. And even if there are, this season doesn't mean much at all so I will take the explosive blossoming of Richard Rodriguez as my number one and when we come back one question we took it all 
we brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Time for just one question. Today's comes from Sherrod, who asks, DK, by year's end, the Pirates are going to have to be thinking about who they're protecting in the Rule 5 draft. And right now, I see at least six to eight prospects who are must-ads down in Altoona and even Greensboro. This is going to crowd the 40-man roster, so they need to start moving on some of these prospects up to Indianapolis now, but they're not. Why is that? At this rate... Pirates may not have many September call-ups. Appreciate any comment that you might have. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this, Sherrod. I don't look at the Pirates' 40 overall as being some stacked thing. Um, they've got a lot of kids who are promising, and they do have kids who will need to be protected in Rule 5. And they're probably going to have even more of those, as I was just describing in the opening segment, after the trade deadline. And it is something that you have to be cognizant of, obviously, if you're Ben Charrington, Steve Sanders, and the rest of the front office. And they are. The way they do these things uh, baseball management teams is they project their organizational roster not just for December when you're talking about for Rule 5. They project it for the following year and the year after that. How is it going to look? Well, what's going to happen if this guy matures and that guy matures and so-and-so makes it, as you were saying, from the grasshoppers to the curve, from the curve to the Indians, eventually on up uh, to Pittsburgh. That stuff gets planned out at least as much as it can, accounting for fluctuations in health and performance. But this, this, Sherrod, this is the good problem. You know, you could have uh, a situation where, for those of you who go way back in your Pittsburgh baseball fandom to the Rule 5 debacle, from several years ago where every team was claiming someone from the Pirates because because they had just left all the wrong guys exposed. Uh, If you reach that point, you're going to have to do some roster navigation uh, before you reach that point, actually. I could see the challenges that are ahead. When Charrington speaks openly about wanting to have quality on top of quantity. He wants to have uh, high-ceiling-type prospects, but he also wants to have a bunch of them. This is one of the problems that arises because when you do the Rule 5 setup, it's designed to keep you from being able 
to hoard this many guys and block them from rising up within that system. That's why Rule 5 was created. But once you get to that point, man, think about this. You're making some decisions between, hey, so-and-so is a very good prospect and -and so-and-so is an excellent prospect. You know what? We're going to have to just expose the very good one and, you know, hope we can keep him. If we don't, we don't. That is going to be interesting. Uh, Terrific question uh, on your part. As you can tell, I don't have an answer for you. But you can know with certainty that they're aware of that situation and accounting for it. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. We'll do another one tomorrow.